Episode 297, The Rant, Wilson Liu, Brooklyn Prospect Girls Basketball Coach, but he's much more than that. Teacher, player, coach, a champion of Asian Americans in basketball culture. Wilson has roots ingrained deep in him with the game of basketball. In this pod, we discuss his early life in Brooklyn, his hustle playing on the asphalt ad nausea, to his adventures playing all around New York City, and making his imprint with the asphalt ninjas. All that and more. My conversation with Wilson now. The Rant has been brought to you by Geo Studios, now open. They are located one block south of Westbury Train Station in the heart of Long Island, New York. Looking to bring your art or event to life? Trying to record a podcast? Enjoy six rooms of studio space to create audio and visual content. It also includes an 800-square-foot cyclorama wall studio, a state-of-the-art recording studio, three breakout rooms for four to six people each, which include a green room and lounges, a quality surround sound with six speakers and studio lighting, and most importantly, two on-site restrooms. You know I need my restrooms. Book your space today. For more information, find us at geoevents.com. The Rant has been brought to you by The Irrefutable Magazine. Co-editor in design Kevin Sparrick and co-editor at large Ralph Fernolis decided to combine both of their talents in writing and illustrations to bring to you a new online experience from an official's perspective. They both ref, but it's deeper than officiating. They create art for all time. Do you think your brand would be a good fit for The Irrefutable Magazine audience? Want to advertise with us? Visit us at theirrefutable.com slash sponsors for more information. We are the irrefutable. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest uh, by way of New York City. You're in Queens, right? Yeah, Queens. Yep. <laughs> uh, fourth grade, fifth grade teacher in the Department of Education in the city. High school varsity coach of the Brooklyn Prospect Lady Knights. Um, of course, captain of the Asphalt Ninjas, which a lot of people uh, a lot of my listeners would probably know you from that context. Then he's also the coach of the New York City Sabres, coach of Lunar NYC, and of course the director of Asian Heritage Tournament, which uh, has prizes of 10000 and 12000 Of course, a basketball. See, too many things. I kept saying, of course, and it's like, there's too many. How come you don't have a Wikipedia page? What's up with that? Man, just, just keeping busy, man. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Wilson Liu, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate that, man. And, and first of all, happy holidays to you and yours. I know we're taping this on the day after Christmas, uh, return day. And I know you probably had some returns on the docket. How was your holiday? Did you watch a lot of basketball? Did I? I was trying. I just had a just had a baby, so I was busy playing with her and uh, watching her open the gifts and play with everything but the gifts. So that was awesome. But yes, the TV was was in the background. Got to see some games, waiting for these teams to warm up. You know, because right now they're just building chemistry and feeling each other out. Yeah. And I think what was what, what sucked about the whole experience was like every game was a blowout. It wasn't even like fun to watch. I was really looking forward to that Laker game and it was not as advertised. It was kind of a weird blowout. But uh, nonetheless, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. OK, so um, speaking of the holidays, uh, th- this was probably the first time we went through a holiday like this where, you know, you had a newborn um, we don't have basketball the way it existed. Um, you are a teacher in the city school district, which is like, it, it's so weird because you'll hear elementary school teachers, but then you'll hear middle school teachers and everyone has you know a different perspective. I wanted to talk about that coronavirus. Um, how are you holding up? How's your family holding up? And, you know, going back to those early days in March in New York City, um, when was the moment that you took all of this really serious? Uh, everything was, everything so far um, has been, has been, has been pretty good. Uh, my family, my wife, uh, is, her, her company cares about her, so she's able to work from home. Uh, like uh, like you mentioned before, the Department of Education, we pretty much do whatever de Blasio and the chancellor feels uh, what's best for us. And then they just tell us, and then the UFC goes, yes, just handle it. But uh, we caught wind of it, obviously, uh, maybe late February, um, early March. Uh, same time they were about to close the schools. Uh, one of my co-teachers is uh, from California. So she got like a whole bunch of updates on how California was beginning to shut down, how serious uh, the virus was getting. 
and how it's you know getting close to our side, and we'll probably we'll probably shut down as well. So we knew it was happening. Packed up all the books, packed up all uh, the entire curriculum, and just had it in my car ready to to bring home. And you know, they just they just once they told us to 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 like take a little break or be ready to teach remotely for two weeks, we kind of expected it would be a little bit longer. So we just made sure we got all our stuff out of the school. You know, just talking about that, I, I know that was a, a unique experience. But also on top of that, uh, I know you from the context of, you know, South Asian Basketball League. You're a luminary when it comes to uh, the New York City circuit of playing basketball. In terms of the Asphalt Ninjas and all the things that you're involved with with basketball, was that a moment in time where you were like, oh, you know, we'll be back. We'll, we'll just get postponed for a little bit. But did you know that you'd be knocked out for this long? I mean, like, like basketball never stops was or or ball ball is life was was kind of like you know my go to even in like our wedding it was like ball never stops you know probably I, I think I played in a tournament the day before my wedding um, and then you know the week after <laughs> as well so like it was kind of it was kind of crazy that this actually stopped basketball and I think uh, once the NBA um, decided to shut down their games. Then it got really serious because then, and then they started to take off the hoops, right? So when you take off the hoops from the playground, it's like, dang, like I had a hoop and then I gave it to one of the kids that, that I was coaching. And then I was like, dang, wish I kept one or bought another one. Mm. <laughs> so we got no hoop, right. can't go to the park. Um, NBA is down. If NBA is down, then we're like, you know, college ain't going to, college is going to be down too because that's the highest level. Um, and then I was like, oh, luckily for, for my team, not so lucky, but their the high school team was already knocked out in the playoffs. But you know, it's just like man, it's it's real. Like basketball can stop, and it did stop. Mm. And it was like you know, you know, you know, our 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 players comfortable training at this time. You know, um, I'm not. I wasn't even comfortable asking. You know, because I had to double check with their parents just to see what was going down. Because even for myself, I was just like, uh, I don't think anyone's really comfortable being around someone else right now. That's not part of their household. Mm. Now, with all of that being said, I know it's a weird time because, you know, the cases at this moment in time, we're taping this on December 26th, it's triple as bad. But I feel as though as our behavior, we're so at a point of uh, utter frustration. And it seems as though we're, we're, we're doing a really good job of acting like it doesn't exist. Um, do you find that to be true in and around New York City? And has that changed your perspective on basketball? Are you trying to find underground gyms to play or, or train or anything? Yeah, it's like, uh, it's 50, 50. Cause, um, I kind of see it both ways. Uh, I'm looking at it as like, there are places that are open. Um, you know, and I do have, um, some, I guess like, uh, some connections to, to, to some, some areas to play. I know in, in Jersey, you know, there's some spots that are open. Uh, also I know in Philadelphia, uh, for us, closer to us in Long Island, um, there's there's spots to play in. Like now, it's a little bit easier because I think people are kind of over it. They're wearing the masks. They're like, um, you know, I guess it's been a few months and no one personally that they know might have been uh, uh, affected by it. So so that's one group that's just like, hey, you know, it doesn't really it didn't really affect us, so we're just going to keep going. Then there's the other side where it's just like, hey, they've either had a family member or, or a coworker or a close friend that kind of caught it and was, you know, lucky or unlucky enough to fight it off. And that group is like, you know, they don't want anything to do with playing with anyone else you know, besides going out and shooting around. Now that the, the rooms are back on, they really don't feel like comfortable playing. And then, you know, all these leagues, they just keep texting us that, you know, because of what the city guidelines are, they can't open up. And it's understandable because like, you know, your friends that work from home, it's all good. But if you're going to, to play a league game, the other team, you're not, you know, you not, may not be friends with them, but just know them. You don't know if they're out and about. Are they, you know, an essential worker? Are they like in the front lines or, or what they're dealing with? But there's, there's, there's been stuff going on. Uh, I've been having some outdoor runs um, with people that were, you know, that, that were comfortable with, like a small group, uh, mainly like the ninjas and some of the kids I coached and, you know, close friends. And, you know, out and about with their masks, you know, outdoors and, you know, stamina's gone, gone down. So, no one could really last and play like, you know, an hour or two and then pretty much good to go. <laughs> We're done. Just get that cardio because these pandemic pounds aren't going anywhere. Mm. 
Yeah, everything is is completely weird. And, you know, I, I think on behalf of Wilson and myself, we will still encourage people to stay safe. Um, I know we're trying to exist with the virus. The vaccine is coming, but it now more than ever, it's getting worse. And it seems as though um, there is no relief yet until the vaccine. I want everyone to remember, you know, the vaccine is not something that we could just kind of download from our iPhone or our Android phone and then like lick the screen. So it's going to take some time. And also you have to do two doses in order for everyone to stay safe. Um, during this whole time, what do you think you learned about yourself during this whole time of pause and having a newborn and trying to figure out remote learning? What do you think you learned about yourself? Mm, good question. I think what I really learned about myself is just, uh, how much I needed to communicate with others, <laughs> how, uh, how, uh, interactions, um, with you know, your friends and family are extremely important. Uh, you know, I think we took for granted seeing that we, we got, we got shut down. Uh, we took for granted, um, just, just being to go out and about and not just for essential runs, but just going out to, to eat with your friends. And like I said, in the last, uh, the last uh, podcast with you, it was like, you know, I go to all my games because they're all, you know, they become friends or, or, or they become like almost close to family members. So if I go to like my six league games and there's eight players, you know, I get to see like 50 of them every week. Um, and now it's like, what is through Zoom, FaceTime? I've definitely learned that I, that's something that, that I need more than, uh, than basketball. You know, basketball was life or basketball is life. And, and it didn't stop. But when it did, it really didn't matter because it was like, it was the people. As much as the basketball kind of started the relationships, um, you know, what kept it going was, was the people and the networking. And I found myself just texting, you know, texting my teammates just to see how they were doing. Um, you know, and, you know, kids that I've coached over the years, just texting as many as possible gets a little tiring because, you know, I'm not trying to group text everyone, uh, you know, label them all in, but just checking up on everybody and then, you know, getting their responses, uh, I've gotten closer to, I think, um, my immediate family, um, with, uh, being able having to zoom my parents, uh, having to zoom my sister. I think, uh, we've been, we've gotten as close to like talking to each other, maybe like once every two, three days. When back then it was just like, you know, um, a couple of dinners here and there, but right. we may not see each other for like, you know, uh, four to six weeks. Yeah. So I think I definitely gotten, you know, learned that I need this type of interaction. Well, I just need people in general because <laughs> mm. I just can't be talking to myself and the baby and my wife. We we'll, would we'll just go crazy. Yeah, you're, you're completely right. Um, you know, talking about that similarity that you and I have that we share is that we're both Asian Americans. We love the game of basketball. And that's how I met you through that context at SABL. Um, I always, always, always honored and admired your team because it made me feel like, you know what, maybe I should make one more run and play with these guys because it it make it look fun. Like what I really appreciated about you is that you weren't like me. I'm a very reluctant scorer. So when you were passing the ball, dishing off with, with all of your boys and, and you were passing the ball, whipping the ball like like the San Antonio Spurs or the, or the 2007 Phoenix Suns or the last iteration of the championship Golden State Warriors, man, it made me it made me proud because I was like, man, I, this makes me want to play. Um, and maybe I'll take you up on that off. I, I think I'm going to work on my jump shot if, if Refn doesn't um, pan out for, for a long time. But um, you know, just talking about, you know, you growing up, talk about where'd you grow up? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school? high school and in college. Got it. Uh, started late. Um, was always into other sports, not really basketball per se. Um, kind of started, I guess in elementary school, I was like more of like track cause you know, it didn't matter what you finished. You were able to get like a medal <laughs> cause they didn't have like gold, silver or bronze. They just gave you like a participation medal. So I would run like the 100, 200, 300 meters, uh, 400 meters, 800 meters, the mile, and just get a whole bunch of medals because that was like kind of cool. Um, then once I hit middle school, people were, uh, the middle school I went to was on the Upper East Side, and they were more in, into like uh, tennis. Uh, tennis, and I was still doing some some running, uh, but there was a small group that was playing uh, basketball, and I kind of uh, kind of hopped on. I was, I, was, uh, I was the type to always shoot around anyways, but not really play. Um, so I would go to the park. My mom would take me to the park to shoot around. So I started playing basketball and then with these kids and all I did was just stand there and shoot. Cause I was just like, that's all I knew what to do. Didn't know anything else. So I just stood there, caught the ball and just shoot and then hope it would go in. Um, and then there's, um, 
then we got into high school and then, you know, high school, I think is when it, it kind of clicked. I was with this group. There's this guy that was, uh, I was a sophomore and he had like similar last names. So he was in like eight out of my nine classes or whatnot. And then he started the, you know, he told me he was part of basketball team in Chinatown. I lived in Chinatown, but because my parents had a restaurant in Connecticut, I never really hung out in Chinatown. And plus, you didn't want to hang out in Chinatown during during the, the early 90s anyways, because things were going down yep. and stuff. So, so like, you know, my parents wouldn't let me out because just, there's just no reason to, you know. Uh, all we really had was gangs on gangs on gangs, and everyone was fighting for turf. And um, everyone wanted more, I guess they would call minions, right, pawns. On, on their teams, you know, these games. So um, whenever I went to the park, whether it's a weekend, um, mostly it's, uh, if I'm not in Connecticut, uh, helping my dad with the restaurant, my mom would take me to the park and we would shoot around. And then if there's stuff that was going down, she would take me to, to get some lunch. And when we would come back, hopefully things were settled and I'll get to shoot around some more. Um, so, so high school is like, I think sophomore year is when it clicked. I kind of hung out with a group that was playing basketball. I wanted to play more basketball. And, you know, and then I met the second group because now that I'm playing basketball and we went, we went towards the playgrounds and we would just get our, our butts kicked day in and day out. And then we just wanted to better ourselves and, and wanted to compete. At first, we didn't know that these were college players that we were playing against. And we were just wondering why it was so hard. But then, you know, just playing them every single day um, just made it, you know, just made us get better. And, you know, when you play against good comp, that's exactly what happens. I'm pretty sure it wasn't fun for, for these college kids, but they're getting their, their work in and their, their, their cardio. But after a few, after a few months, it just, it just started clicking. And I guess, um, we, we were also like, I guess, gym rats. So we would play at the local YMCA. Um, after that, then we would still play at the parks and then everybody would get home around like 10 o'clock. So we could do our homework and we'll, we'll repeat that over and over. So I think by junior year, only took a year, um, like our basketball game just like flourished. And then, and that's when I was actually introduced into Asian basketball. So all this basketball is just like not with, not with Asians, just, just playing basketball. And, um, and once we started playing Asian basketball, I was introduced to it at, at my local park. I was like, Oh man, these guys aren't that good. They're not as good as, um, the, the kids in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then I was like, Oh, this game is actually a lot, you know, it's, it's easier to learn when it, when it's slowed down. Mm. Um, but when the game is so quick and so fast, you have to adjust and you're learning and you're processing. It's sometimes very difficult. So, you know, I think it was a good balance playing uh, extremely high competition. And then there was also a balance of, of playing, you know, uh, closer to your level or even lower. Because um, I, I always disagreed with people that were like, that they felt like they were too good to play against somebody and they wouldn't take it seriously. And I think I've, I've been on both sides. Um, I've been that type where it's just like, you know, uh, when I was, this is when I was growing up. Cause now it's definitely, I feel like you can, you can learn from playing any game, whether you're playing someone that's uh, really, really good or playing someone that's uh, far less than you, you know, there's always something you can work on mm-hmm. and stuff. So I'm definitely not that person that's like, you know, I wouldn't play somewhere because the level was bad. I just, I love the game so much. And, you know, just because the, the level isn't up to par, you could always show them that, hey, this is this is what it's supposed to look like, or I'm working on something, and that kind of got me into into just always having a goal or something something set aside. So the game was fun. So I played games where like I wouldn't shoot until like uh, halfway through the game, and the, and I'm talking about league games too, not just like out in the park. I played games where the first half I shot with my left hand. Just, just to, just to show the other team that, like, yo, oh, he probably sucks. So, so we'll probably leave him open in the second half. <laughs> and I played, I played games where, like, I forget, I wouldn't shoot until probably like ten minutes left in the game. And then, you know, since they left you open the whole time, now, now you're now I'm wide open because they're like, he doesn't shoot. He didn't shoot for like, you know, three quarters of the game. And I get some open looks, and you know, just got to hit a few threes. And before you know it, our lead was like from five. Now it's twenty. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's so that's so that's kind of how, kind of how I grew up. High school basketball um, went to the tryouts, but you know I went to Brooklyn Tech. We got like five thousand kids, got like five hundred <laughs> that want to play basketball, and um, the the tryouts didn't look too good because you know if you weren't getting steals or buckets, it wasn't happening. 
and me being just a shooter, um, that, that was sophomore year. Like if you, if you didn't get the ball and you didn't make your shot, they, they really didn't count and stuff. So and that's why I uh, wasn't able to make that team. Uh, but senior year, the coach did ask uh, two, two of us to play because they, they saw us in gym. Like I said, I, I developed really quickly from, I think, sophomore to, to junior year. It was just day in and day out of playing basketball with really good players. And then senior year, the coach asked us, but like, you know, now, we, now we're dealing with practice. You know, I never had to go to practice before. Uh, you know, when I wake up early, there's practice before school, there's practice after school, and there's games. And like, my parents are like, where are you going? <laughs> like, you're going, you know, you went to the park with your friends, now you join the team. You got to travel, and then you got to travel back. So things weren't really happening. And it was our senior year, you know, it's time to chill not trying to um, to make a make a squad here and, and do all this extra work right. when you know when you know enjoying senior year and getting that senioritis and and that's kind of how, how it built on and then you know went off to college and now I think I'm like the man because you know I, I went to I went to Hunter and I'm like oh this is Division three this isn't that easy and stuff and then you know over there. Then, then came my three knee surgeries, and that humbled me. And that's when I started to coach. What a long and winding road! <laughs> it's like it's it's unbelievable how that all happened to you. And I had the same struggle as you a little bit earlier. I played with my friends at the park day in day out, and I realized that I was good until I started doing like organized basketball, and that was a big adjustment. And on top of that, I had also had a very similar. Um, experience with you. I remember, I think I was 22 and I played in this like Filipino tournament in Jersey. And I was like, there's other Asians that play basketball. Like I just wasn't used to that. You know, I was always used to the only Asian person that was good. And then I want to see if, if you had this same similar situation. I know that sometimes if people didn't know who I was, I would always get picked last. And I was cool with that because I think within the first three points, you're like, okay, he can play. Um, was that a similar experience when you grew up as well? Yeah. Once again, it's like, Man, it's so it's so different. Um, if it's a new place, then yes, um, you know, had that chip on the shoulder for a little bit. But you know, once it's you know, once the ball's in your hand, it's uh, you know, it was it was it was time to go. You know, I grew I grew up with where like the, my favorite players were, you know, from Kenny Anderson all the way to Booger Smith. Right. So like right now, I am like a shell of myself, <laughs> not even close. You know, if if you thought, you know, if you thought James Harden over dribbles, like <laughs> should have seen me when I was, you know, 17, 18. You know, right? <laughs> it was like, it was like, like, um, you know, Pee Wee Kirkland style. Just right. wanted to shake and bake, <laughs> shake and bake, just walking up the ball mm. and everything. So like, you know, once the ball is in the hands, um, I think um, to, to over, to, to kind of compensate my lack of handle, my first few years of playing basketball, like that's something I just kept working on and kept working on because I just felt like it was needed. It was necessary. And, um, and yes, yeah, it's just like, you know, they would, you know, it, what, what are, what do we get picked at all? Or we have to call next. It just fueled the fire, you know, playing with that chip. So that's for new places that, that we head out to where someone's just, whether they're looking down on you because you're Asian or because of your height uh, or whatnot. But then, like, inside our circles, you know, then it's, like, the complete opposite because they kind of know who you are already. And it's, like, you know, I think it's – I'm not sure everyone has this, but, like, it's, it's, it depends where you go, right? So, like, there's going to be places where you go where you're the worst player. But then for – in my little circle, everywhere I went, when it came to, to my circle, it's, like, you walk into that gym, you kind of know you're, you're, you're better than everyone. But then you also have to continue to, to show that. Right. So you can't just roll up in there just like I'm better than everyone, but then you you be taking L's. Right. Like I've had I've had streaks at the park and we're just talking about at my park at Grand Street Park where haven't lost all year. You know, and it's like, you know, you just go up there and they just keep beating them down. But you got to continue because, you, you know, it's just for me, it was like for me, it was all at that age is all about wins and losses and not trying to take any L's at all. You know, and, and when you do catch a loss, you know, it's just like, it just, just burns. And then you're just like, how did I lose? Is it, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't me, it wasn't my teammate, you know, too young to figure it out. It's just like, I just didn't drop enough buckets. So I'm going to have to go out there and, and, and take over. So I think I got the, the best of both worlds. If I had to put it, I would walk into the gym and then in my head, I'm like, I'm the man here and we're going to come out here undefeated. 
Um, then you walk in the gym, it's just like, dad, like, you know, I'm at, I'm at LeFrac, um, on Queens Boulevard and like, it don't matter cause you, we're not the right color. Mm. So you're not getting picked. Yep. There's like four nets. Mm-hmm. Um, floor is slippery as hell, but you know, like I said, everyone's playing on the same floors and you know, we had to earn our respect and the same thing at, at Hoffman Park, you know, and I had to do this many times. So it wasn't just from when I was growing up and then we had to go to different parks. But I also did the same when I started coaching the girls, you know, so you get the same, same type of looks. It's not, it's not different. It's just, can, can these guys play, you know? So, you know, if you're playing half court with the girls, height, height matters. When you're playing full court, it doesn't really matter that much. So some of the girls that I coach, bring them down to Hoffman and we would play, you know, start off at the worst court and try to work our way to the, to the best court. But people didn't take it seriously. You know, they're, they're like, you know, they see, they see two, three guys and two girls, you know, they're like, oh, that's disrespectful that they didn't, they didn't pick us up mm. for the Nets. But that's because we have, you know, these aren't our, these aren't our girlfriends. These are girls that are going to play ball with us and they're going to, you know, they're going to do work. So, you know, so then they come on with a chip on their shoulder. They're playing extra hard. Then the team that, that, you know, is uh, about to play us is also thinking the same, like, oh, what's this respect to bring two girls on this court? And it wasn't like that. It was just needed them to get some more experience. We wanted to play. We wanted to play our way, our style. And we just wanted to keep it, um, you know, within our group. So I definitely, I definitely feel like it depends on where we went, who I was with. And I got to feel the full, you know, full spectrum of, of having to play, you know, as hard and as serious because there was no respect for us to where I had to keep up the, the respect of that you were a good player and you had to, you know, had to get the victory. Mm. Fortifying that notion, um, just talking about Asian basketball in general. Uh, to me, I, I always consider you a champion of Asian basketball. And, you know, you were talking about how you were you're playing on a very slippery fault. I think that's the genesis of Asphalt Ninjas. You're you're willing to play in any type of terrain, any type of environment. Doesn't matter if there's a lot of people, there's min- minimal amounts of people outdoors, indoors, wherever there's basketball going, you're going to try to compete. Um, how did that develop of you promoting Asian basketball? And then also just uh, how did you develop the, the Asphalt Ninjas? Uh, first off, um, when it came to like my knee surgeries, I think is where, um, where, so there was this, um, organization that was looking for coaches and they asked me to coach before my knee surgeries, but all, all I was doing was just playing basketball. And then, um, once I got injured, like, you know, the, you know, this guy, Bill called me up again. It's like, are you doing anything now? And I'm like, um, yeah, I guess I could coach now, <laughs> you know, I'm in a, got my ACL rocked out. So sure. <laughs> I'm good for a few months. Right. So, so, you know, his organization, uh, kind of aligned with, you know, um, what I was always thinking about is just like everywhere I go, it's just not a lot of me and my teammates are, my teammates are brothers, but you know, I'm like the, I'm like the odd one out. I could play, but I'm just the odd one out. So he was like, Hey, you know, I'm starting this organization. All Asians we're promoting Asian basketball. And, um, this is definitely pre pre Jeremy Lin time because this was 2002 and um, he was like, I want to start an AAU team. Um, you know, we want to get these kids, you know, we want to let their parents know that, you know, they don't need, uh, it doesn't need to be a D1 scholarship. You know, there are other scholarships um, and that there's, you know, there's some worth in playing sports, uh, basketball um, specifically. There's so many uh, good Asian basketball players out there that were, you know, kind of like forced to, you know, play the piano or just work on their grades. And they didn't really take the sport seriously. Uh, not understanding that, hey, even if you went to a Division three school, you still get to register first. You know, you still to get, you know, they can hook you up with uh, housing, like, you know, get you a, a, get you a part-time job because you're on a basketball team, right? So there's a lot of things that these parents didn't know. They're like parents of, you know, they're like immigrant parents. So we were just trying to start um, a group where, the, and also playing the right way, because this is very big. It was during like and one mixtape. So a lot of kids were also playing the wrong way or, you know, uh, all these uh, street balls and end ones, like these guys are fundamentally sound. So these tricks came afterwards. Um, the, the organizer um, felt that these kids were doing all these tricks before the fundamentals. And it was absolutely true. I mean, these kids were trying to put it between other kids' legs, but they couldn't put it between their legs. You know, they're trying to, you know, clap as hard as they can, but they could barely make a left-hand layup. Little stuff like that. 
And I was like, oh, I'm all for it. Like, I want kids playing the right way. Uh, I want kids to, to, to play and get to the highest level, especially Asians, to the highest level they can they can get to. And, you know, many weren't sure how to do it or, or how to even get on their high school basketball team. So it went from getting, um, getting them on their high school basketball team and then further pushed off to can they play college? Can they play college at what level? And, and then getting onto their college team. And then also, like, you know, can we create an AU team to get some exposure? It was extremely expensive. And we were getting rocked left and right, but this team was, you know, the, the teams that we were coaching, you know, once they were getting rocked left and right, uh, other places you went to, you were now dominating. So, you know, it kind of fell in place with promoting Asian basketball, um, playing the right way, and also, you know, playing against really good competition so that you would develop faster. And I think that's how, like, um, Asphalt Ninjas came a lot later. Um, that's like, I was part of this uh, semi-pro Asian team. So I pretty much played in every single tournament in the city, uh, especially when it comes to Asian basketball. Adult leagues and everything, obviously, you know, if it was indoors, I've been a part of it as well. But definitely for Asian basketball, when I, when I was on this team, it was wild. Like, my coach was like Mark Cuban. Just had uh, <laughs> a lot of resources and put us in everything. Like, you know, one weekend we'll just, you know, we'll fly to Atlanta, play in this tournament. Another one, we'll fly to Florida. You know, even had tournaments in Hawaii. So we played in a lot. And there was a lot of pressure, too. So I think that's where I kind of uh, learned how to coach or I guess how to, to be a better coach because my coach was wild. He was wild because he had the resources and he was a businessman. So he treated it, he treated the team like, uh, like a business. So either I need you or I don't need you. And, you know, not everyone could take that. So, you know, we were, I was on that team for, for a while and he was, uh, you know, it was like walking on eggshells. So like when people ask me about pressure, like when you're playing games or whatnot, like that was the ultimate pressure because like if we didn't win the tournament, like he'll still take us out to eat, but we're going to McDonald's. But if we won the tournament, like we're getting, we're getting steak and lobster, nothing wrong with McDonald's, but the pressure to like, uh, to lead the team and not make any mistakes and hold my, my, uh, my teammates accountable. That was because of the, the pressure he put upon me and like, yo, I wanted lobster and steak every time. So, so, so that was kind of like, um, that was kind of like, that kind of built that, I guess, um, you know, uh, the whole diamond, he was just putting mad pressure. And then I, I was just, I didn't want to succumb to it. And then like, yo, we were winning everything left and right. For those, for those three years, it was crazy. And it was nonstop basketball too. Like every, every weekend was, was either, you know, just a regular practice, but we wouldn't go more than two, three weeks before we had a tournament or like the league game. And that was a, that was a crazy time. But that also, that led to what Asphalt Ninjas was about. So Asphalt Ninjas was the complete opposite. You know, it's bringing it back to the love of, of the game. You know, so I sacrificed a lot. So what happened was when, when I first joined this team, I joined the, not the Asphalt Ninja one, but this uh, semi-pro team. I joined with one of the kids that I coached because he was missing, he was missing a shooting guard and a power forward that could score. So me and my boy Alex was the perfect fit. Uh, when we got onto that team, like it was just filled with people who, who, who worked out like crazy diesel henchmen that could like set screens forever get every single rebound, play defense. And me and Alex just had to score. But then he started cutting all the point guards. And um, and like I said, like my handle was, was good enough to be point guard, but, you know, I was just in love with scoring. And this is post-surgery already. So I'm like, cool, I'll just keep scoring. But he kept cutting all the point guards. And he went, and then, and then like a true business person, like he cut them the day before a tournament. So for that tournament, now I got to run the one. You know, so slowly he just kept cutting a whole bunch of them. And then I just ended up in the point guard role and everything. So when it came to like my game, it just went from scoring 25 points or so to just dishing out, you know, making everyone happy. And then also, you know, holding people accountable and then just, just getting, just getting the W and not making any mistakes, you know, so like almost like no turnovers. So did that for like two years. We were winning a whole bunch. But it wasn't as fun. It was, it was like, uh, it was just, you know, it did feel like a job. So uh, fast forward, Asphalt Ninjas is, is bringing it back. Um, a whole bunch of the kids that I coached my first generation, 
they're they're men now. So, you know, they've graduated college, they're ready to play in adult leagues. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna continue the tradition of Asian basketball and get old you know, some of them played in college, you know, some of them played at very strong high schools. Let's just get into some adult leagues. You know, I'm no longer part of that that um that that semi pro team now. So I'm just gonna put these guys in men's leagues, you know, and then hey, they could look at us because we're a bunch of Asians, but we're just gonna drop buckets and get victories. And you know, and before you knew it, it was just like, you know, we we're just cutting up people, kind of like a samurai or a ninja. <laughs> and uh, I love playing from the from the from you know the streets. You know, kind of grew up there as well. And like I said, my friend Annie was like, "You should call yourself Asphalt Ninjas because you love ninjas. You guys kind of were born from the asphalt, play outdoors a lot." And I was like, "All right, cool. That sounds good. Let's do it." And that's how Asphalt Ninjas was born. Is is promoting Asian basketball past you know post college and just you know playing in all these men's leagues and trying to just do work and prove stereotypes wrong. Mm. Yeah, that that's something that I can identify with completely. It's weird that I didn't meet you earlier in life, man. I probably would have been like a lifetime asphalt ninja or something. Maybe I wouldn't be a ref. I don't know. Yo, I'm t- I'm telling you like if you were like my coach, my coach took us everywhere. So I used those connections as well. Um yeah, we were invited to Filipino tournaments, Korean tournaments. Um if you were talking about in Jersey, I don't know if it was like Hoopsville or the one in Nutley. There was a whole bunch um that, you know, I use those connections to, to also put the asshole ninjas in afterwards, you know? So I'm thankful for, for all the connections that he created for us. But definitely if, if I met you earlier, like, cause, cause that's another thing I kind of learned as a coach. It was like, it wasn't always about buckets, you know, <laughs> when I was younger, that's all it was about. But I learned a lot from the, the organizer, the director of the, the, the AU uh, team that we wanted to create. You know, we I think we only did AU for two seasons because it got very pricey. Um, and and also, just like, it was very time-consuming. The AU season was, you know, was felt like another job yeah. or whatnot. So, so but he taught me to, you know, he was a scout for the New York Jets. Um, that was his previous job. So he kind of, like, applied that to basketball. And he kind of taught me, like, it's not always about scoring, you know. A team needs to do what a team does, but there are going to be players that are good at their roles and you're going to need these players. They're kind of like, you know, the, the glue. So, you know, I started looking at players differently. Like it didn't matter if you were dropping like 30 points it may not fit the team, you know, but if you were able to get a whole bunch of rebounds or you were like high IQ player, you know, I was able to, to kind of, kind of check that out. And like, I was like, Oh, it's like, there's more to basketball than dropping buckets. You know, that's the simplest form, but there's a, there's so much more. Yeah. So I would have found you if you were a team player, you know, man. Even if you like were the one that like you fouled at the right time to prevent a layup, you know, you hustled like crazy. That's me. I'm pretty sure. And 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 I think um when I left my uh, that semi pro team, like I wanted to play with my friends because there were there was a lot of times where my friends couldn't play in a certain tournament because of their skill level. And then you know based on these Asian tournaments as well, like sometimes I couldn't play with my friends because it was just like they're like oh they got a ringer. Right. Or, you know, here this guy is coming in the lowest division. Not understanding that, you know, it's because I wanted to play with my friends. Mm. But I also understood like, hey, like this is kind of easy. It's kind of not fair as well. Right. And stuff. So so Asphalt Ninjas was just like, you know, we, we played in whatever. Like, you know, we'll play in a tournament. If you felt like, you know, that we weren't good and you want to put us in, in this division, we're just going to win it. You figure it out later. Play in this league. If also, you know, it's happened to us many times, even in like, uh, you know, um, uh, in there's this league called Old Styles, and you know they saw we were a bunch of Asians, so they put us in this one division. And then as we started winning by like 30, 40 points, they're like, "Oh, we got to switch them up," and they switched us up to another division. And then we were also doing work. And then you know, almost, and then we got into a fight because of that as well, because they paired us up with like uh, previous champions or whatnot. So those guys were looking at us like, "Oh yeah, fresh meat." And then you know we hung in there and we about to get that victory, and then. Uh, Fight you, you know, a fight erupts, <laughs> and that was the end of that league <laughs> for us. Crazy, super crazy. So, um, just your experience, and and you know, I identified you as somebody that serves uh, underserved basketball communities, such as you, know, you you coach a girls team. You also are a very strong uh, defender and supporter of Asian American basketball. Um, all this time, you growing up, you know, playing at the park, um, playing in high school, playing in college. Um, coaching in AAU and now now coaching in the PSAL. Um, what has your perception been of officials all this time? 
conversation was on. Just like we said uh, on the last time, it was like um, there were different phases of it. At first, it was just like, "Damn, you guys are the worst." I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna mess with you and like get you pissed off. But then we're gonna be winning by so much, you can't really change the the outcome of the game. Then, then it went to uh, the middle ground. It's like, "Dad, officiating is a hard job because." I had to officiate. I was helping out with AmeriCorps. I was doing some um, some junior Knicks stuff at the YMCA. And then, you know, I think it was like a snowy day. The refs couldn't find parking. So they're like, yo, you do it. I was like, okay. Like, you know, whatever. I, I could ref. These are like, you know, eight, nine-year-olds, you know, fourth, fifth grade. Man, these parents were yelling at me. I couldn't see everything. I was too busy watching that one kid that could dribble or shoot or score. Like, I wasn't watching the whole game. Like, everyone was yelling. I'm like, man. It's tough officiating, and these are just the young ones. And then I was like, man, and none of these kids are talking back. It's just the parents. And then it kind of made me reflect on, like, how I was treating referees as well. And I'm not going to lie. It was still, you know, I was still young, so there were times where, like, I would go at it. I I don't need to curse. Um, I could get in the heads or just really bother um, not just my opponents, but I could just, just bother refs. I was that annoying coach or annoying player, and, like, you know, it, it slowly developed into like respect and how hard it was to officiate. And the higher level you go, it's just like, you know, there's different, you know, as long as you guys are consistent, because, you know, different bumps are, are, are taken into account, you know, player strength when you get into higher levels and higher divisions. And, you know, they, you know these, these little fouls aren't little fouls anymore, you know, it's grown men basketball and stuff. So it went from like uh, truly at first, like, man, these refs are out to get us. You know, especially when I was younger, too, I was just like, man, that's because they haven't seen an Asian that could play. So, like, you know, if you ever call travel or anything, I was just like, you just haven't seen this before. <laughs> you know, all the way to, to now, it's like, man, it's a tough job. Like, uh, it's best if you guys could stay consistent or if you and your partner could, could work it out. Because I've seen that as well, where, you know, officials are, you know, one ref is officiating one way and the other one is the opposite way. And then, you know, people get kind of frustrated with that as well. But I know it's hard. And now we have friends that are officials as well, uh, that became officials. And then, you know, we, we get to, to talk to them and, like, we get a whole new perspective. You know, even talking to yourself, you know, um, you know you're know, you the type that's able to explain yourself. Right. You know, a lot of some of these old-time refs, like uh, these, these, these old-school referees, they don't, they don't even want to give us the time of day. Um, so I feel like it's, it's kind of like teachers, you know, you're going to get good ones and get consistent ones, but you're going to get ones that are just there for the paycheck. You get ones that are just there for the exercise, you know, it's just, you know, they're retired and they just, they just want to do something. And this is something that they're, they're, they're okay at. So it really depends on, on where I am, but the, the whole perspective has definitely changed from when I was younger to, to now. Now it's like got to teach the kids, you know, they, they, you guys do not control the outcome of the game, but anywhere between the beginning tip to, to the final whistle, like there's things that are going to happen and we're just going to have to rock with it. But if you see something inconsistent, talk about the inconsistency as opposed to talking bad about the ref and how much they've missed. Yeah, completely agree. And if I met you earlier when you were saying, oh, he's never seen an Asian that plays like that. I would disagree because I am that Asian kid that used to play like that. So I'm like, I know exactly what all this stuff is. Um, you know, having said that, do you think you would ever, you know, because you are a coach and you are a player and, and, and you know a lot about basketball, would you ever take up the stripes yourself in, in a, like a real serious capacity? Yeah, depends because like, I mean, I love outdoor basketball, but these knees, these knees are, you know, I had, I had, I had your buddies, the referees that are like, Wilson, I see you in every tournament. You're playing too much outdoors and you play outdoors like for fun. They're like, you need to limit your time. I was like, what are you talking about? But now I know. So it's like, you know, I could see it. I could see it for, you know, uh, if it's one of like, you know, one of the leagues I've, I've constantly played in. I've made a lot of uh, good friends with some of these refs and then like refing indoors. Maybe it could be a possibility. Go to the strike. <laughs> Yeah, that, w- that I would. See, be- I can see, I can see that. But the game has evolved so much that you know, man, I'm gonna have to learn from you know. I'm gonna need a real good mentor. Yeah, like well, yourself. listen, listen, I got you, and, and I, I think you're gonna learn pretty quick. Um, you know, I, I just think that from what you said before, with your fourth, fifth grade experience doing it, you just got to get out of yourself and separate yourself from being a spectator and being an active participant that's not really doing anything until it needs to be done. 
And I think what you would have a competitive advantage over people is that you've played at a very high level and you've played in different levels. So I think you understand that you know how to run the game and not choke the game. So that that would be something that's important. And I think that's why you and I always bonded on the court because we've always had those conversations and you're like, okay, this guy has played basketball before. He understands what's going on as opposed to me, you know, reffing like a cop. But we will we will uh, welcome you with open arms if you ever decide to do that. Now, um, before I get into my last gist of questions, I did want to ask you, you know, just from your experience coaching and playing, um, and I know you're getting more on the older side and, and you're being more effective as a coach, um, what do you like right now at this moment in time in your career? Do you like playing or do you like coaching more? Man, good question. Playing or coaching more? I'm going to have to give you that. I like playing and coaching at the same time. Oh, this boy. is pretty much, this is probably why, this is probably why I, you know, I, I love uh, having, you know, full control of my teams. Kind of like, you know, I, like I said, I had Mark Cuban as my coach, um, you know, my Asian Mark Cuban. And I know, you know, what I didn't like from it. So I learned from that. And, you know, it's just to make everybody happy. So like right now, I still, I know my limits. I'm not the same as when I was, you know, 25. So, you know, I kind of, I kind of, I find like I'm in a good, good place right now where I can play and coach at the same time because just based on the experience and it's like, you know, it's like, you know, playing the angles, understanding positioning where, where I can help out and then guiding players that want to listen. Right. Because that's another thing. It's just like coaching, coaching is fun. But, you know, sometimes at school where, where I work, if I'm coaching someone that doesn't want to be coached, it's extremely difficult. And it's extremely difficult if they are, um, you know, they're talented enough to, to, to help my team. And there's certain things that, you know, it's give or take, so I'm going to have to compromise. But, you know, a lot of these, the, the men's leagues, when it comes to ninjas, like, they want to be a ninja, right? They want to have fun. They want to play the right way. You know, we got players on the ninjas that could drop 45, just not that time. You know, you could drop 45 when you play with your other friends. But over here, like, we might just need you for your 20 or 15, but you're going to need to pass the ball and stuff. So it just makes the game more fun. And um, I feel like, you know, as I get older, you know, just the, my ninjas just keep getting younger. I'll just pick up the players that are needed to do certain things to, to help us out. And uh, we can hopefully continue, um, you know, riding it out and rocking it out and all. But yeah, it, it's hard to just choose like, hey, playing versus coaching. So I'll stick with that that nice little medium. <laughs> but I get I get hyped regardless. I get I get amped, you know. I get amped coaching. I get amped playing because because like you know after after a, a few of these surgeries, I just I just felt like the the old my old man game, the OG game. It just you know I just didn't want to get run into anymore. You know that's kind of how I tore my ACL. This guy hit the side of my my leg. Mm. So you know. A lot of times I'll take a three in transition instead of taking a layup because, you know, just, you know, and you can probably hear me in like videos, just like, don't touch me. Mm. You know, <laughs> I don't want to get touched. I'd rather shoot this, uh, rather shoot the three <laughs> than, than try to take a layup and have someone come, come under me and everything. A good game is when no one gets injured and we're all ready to go to work the next day. <laughs> wow. After everything you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as the ultimate asphalt ninja as a player and, of course, as a coach? I think it's uh, need to take uh, take advantage of your opportunities. It doesn't matter where or what. Um, I think you had uh, one of my boys, uh, Roman Perez, and on on your cast, and like you just got to be like that. You just got to take everything. You know, nothing for granted. Whatever opportunity is there to play in anything and everything. And like I said earlier, like, I, I have friends that are just like, you know, we're at the park and they're like, oh, we can't play these guys. You know, they're just it's not good enough. We're going to get hurt. I'm like, you could get hurt anywhere. You know, to be honest, like, how about you learn not to get hurt? <laughs> you know, so, so like, you know, just, just that and, you know, being open-minded, you know, always, always willing to share your knowledge as well to those that want, you know, but I'm always open to share my knowledge as, as well. It's just like, if you want to have a chat while we're playing and, um, and, you know, shoot off some advice or suggestions on your game and you're willing to listen. And, and that's the, that's the, that's one of the big things that I'm, I'm for. Like everyone can give you advice and suggestions, but you just got to take what you feel like is best. You know, I don't think you should cut off anyone if they're going to give you advice They're spending time because hopefully because they care or they have something to pass on, but 
just listen to it. You know, you could always take what you want and then not take, um, you know, what you felt like doesn't, doesn't apply to you. You know, I see, I see the OGs all the time when I was growing up giving advice on how to set screens and how to roll, when to dive, when to cut. And like a lot of kids just argue for me, I was just like, you want me to cut right now? Sure. We'll, we'll see what this does. You know, and sometimes it pans out and sometimes it doesn't. But if you didn't give that, if you weren't open-minded enough or, or flexible to listen to that suggestion or advice or, or take the smallest opportunities or just keep playing, I feel like that, you know, that, 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 that's what kind of made me. I just, just played everywhere and everything and whatever was available to me. You know, we weren't trying to get into, you know, uh, Rucker Park and pay, you know, 10000 for the entry fee because we couldn't get that sponsor but we played whatever was available to us. That's really good advice. Um, after saying that, what do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go? I mean, I've thought about this since the last time that, that this question was posed. It's like right now it's, it's comfort, comfortable, complacent for now. But, you know, there's so many, there's so many pros and cons to, to coaching at a higher level when it comes to uh, whether it's, um, you know, uh, a bigger program or when it comes to like maybe a prep school or even college, um, there's just so much going on. Uh, so right now when it comes to coaching, pretty comfortable when it comes to playing, I'm just still trying to, to, to help out all my, you know, younger ninjas to play as much as possible, expose to them as much as possible and just let them know that there's so much basketball, like, Holy cow, it is crazy. You know, there is just so much basketball when everything hopefully returns to the new normal, and we can play. We can play basketball again. Like we have all these people that are rushing after injuries, rushing to 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 play because they feel like time's running out or their peak. I mean, there's just there's so much basketball to be played that, you know, they don't have to worry about it. Just ask me, and I'll just send you somewhere, and you'll be good <laughs> to go. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But just know that I'm in the background since I can't referee. I'm I am working on my jump shot. I'm trying to be Jason Kidd on the Dallas Mavericks. Try to be effective without like really moving. I think that's the new Wilson Lou game. So um, you might see me, and I, I, for real, I'm gonna I'm gonna holler at you if I'm if I'm getting serious back of playing the court. But you know, back to you, um, if you can describe the most stickiest situation that you've ever had uh, in basketball in general. Oh, uh, got it. Yeah, last time was a fun one. Um, this time, uh, I'll just give you the most recent one. Um, this guy was uh, kind of like putting he was putting the ball between his legs, like unnecessarily and kind of like all over the place. It's kind of like when, when you kind of teach your players, you know, when you're dribbling left, you know, you know, you want to protect the ball. So defenders towards your right side, balls on your left, you know, ball, body, ball, body and defender. So this guy was doing a whole bunch of stuff, but like in the wrong angles and positions. So it was kind of easy to strip. So, and, and it's not like he didn't have handle. He did, but it was just his, his placement so it was, was a little off. So, so me and my boy was, was getting a bunch of steals. He was getting upset. It was a playoff game. Um, so this is our latest incident. It was a playoff game. And, you know, we got a bunch of steals. And one time he was dribbling between his legs and it kind of got caught. And he didn't want to double dribble, you know. So it kind of got stuck to his body. So the only way I could grab the basketball was, you know, um, kind of like in his backside. You know, so he kind of he kept the ball between his legs, like holding it because he had to pick it up. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just grabbed it. And then, like, he claimed that, like, we hit his, uh, his, his, his ding. And I was like, damn, his ding must be super long. Um, but as I grabbed it, he fell, and he got upset, and he wanted to hit me. So I just ran off. And then, my, luckily, my, my ninja teammates were able to get in front of him because he was a really strong-looking dude. And, uh, but we have this on video. It was pretty funny. And then all, all I could hear myself saying was, like, I didn't touch your balls. <laughs> because I didn't I felt like I didn't I, I don't think it and he's like you guys did it in the first half when we first got the first steal and then I was like I didn't touch your balls then I didn't touch your balls now <laughs> so you have video of me just screaming he's yelling at me but like you know obviously both our teams we're not trying to fight it's like you know he's just upset because I think because of the steal but then my teammate was also coming for the double team so he might have accidentally need him but it definitely wasn't me because I was on the backside. And, you know, when you put the ball in that spot, I'm just going to grab it. But, you know, I grab the basketball. So we have a video of, of, of him just screaming at me and people holding him back and me just running off and still running back to him and yelling at him, like, ain't touch your balls. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, that could have been worse if it, was, you know, if it wasn't for um, his teammates and our teammates who mm-hmm. were, 
just holding holding them back. I wasn't, you know, I'm a lover, not a fighter, so I wasn't gonna fight. Yeah, but I was just gonna let them know that, like, dude, I didn't. didn't you didn't rap. touch your boy, yeah? I, I, did you? You knew you were on tape, weren't you? No, I was, no. There's like <laughs> my wife should have stopped recording, but. I was just trying to get my point across. Yeah, you know? well, you got your point across. Yeah, and, and that reminds me of just our era. I remember like when I was a sophomore in high school, um, I used to go around the hallways of my school and I would go, isn't that the girl that you said you like? Are you, are you going to get her number? It's like you make it hot like that. That's something just completely from the playbook of our era. But if you can pinpoint one moment um, out of your whole basketball career, whether it be coaching, whether it be you know the 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 uh, the operator, the, 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 the overseer of Asphalt Ninjas or a player, um, what do you think is your best moment thus far as somebody that's involved in the game of basketball? Uh, I think there was one time it was a it was a division it was like a, a CUNY game, and then I had four players, uh, girls um, that I coached uh, on the court at the same time. It was three on one team and one on the other team. Um, it happened twice, I think. Yes, yeah, so there was there was one. It was Hunter versus John Jay. And then there was another one that was Hunter versus uh, CCNY. And I had four girls. So every Asian you saw on the court um, was, was, was uh, you know, someone I coached. And I was extremely proud, uh, proud moment for, for myself, just seeing college basketball and just, you know, so that means, you know, four out of the 10 players were Asian. So that was, uh, that was definitely a highlight. That sounds like a great highlight. Uh, basketball has brought you so many different places in and around the city. It's made you travel across the country. Um, it's mean so much to you. Uh, I mean, you've had multitudes of injuries. I know for me, if I had a crazy injury, I would I would probably stop. You've coached, and the only thing that's missing is refing. My final question to you is: uh, Basketball means so much to you. Um, what does it mean to you personally, and and what has it given to you in your life? Man, basketball, like, when, when people say ball is life, like, I'm not sure they, they really understood, like, the, the, the most important part for me, especially when I had this time to reflect, is it's the, it's the networking. Um, basketball brings so many connections. And, you know, I've had, I've had basketball where, you know, I had some, some friends that, you know, you lose relationships. That should never happen over a game or over something that's basketball-related. But basketball definitely you know, started a lot of relationships and friendships. And, uh, and for me, it's like the network, you guys have to tap into it. So if you're playing basketball, like say you're on a team, someone sponsors the team, like you got to keep that, keep that connection alive. Um, it can lead to, for, for myself, for example, it could lead to jobs. So for me to coach the high school team, it was just based off someone I played basketball with. He was the athletic director. Um, and props to him. Like he knew I was coaching these other teams already. And he's like, yo, I got a perfect job for you at my school. So, you know, props to, to, to Josh. And he, he's like, hey, let me interview you. And he got me the, the current coaching job that I have for the past uh, eight years. Um, my barber is one of my, you know, one of my groomsmen. You know, my, my, entire, my, my entire groomsmen, you know, met from basketball. Uh, my wife's, my wife's uh, bridesmaids and, you know, all, also basketball, um, you know. My real estate agent, <laughs> the person that I was able to get my mortgage through basketball, anything sticky, lawyers, basketball, all the knee surgeries, basketball, ankle injuries, podiatrists, basketball. So I feel like the, the networks itself, the connections that were made, you know, if you needed something, the first thing that comes to mind when it clicks that something we need or uh, we need support or want to double check something, it's, it's basketball. Like I met that person through basketball. So I think that for me is is the biggest thing with the network and the connections and the relationships that that basketball has given me. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, even truth be told, if it had not been for basketball, you and I wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. So I thank you for all the contributions that you have, specifically for Asian-Americans. And, of course, just your love of basketball that emanates from every time I speak with you. And I, I thank you for all your contributions and your future contributions to the game of basketball I hope I hope you take me up on that offer of officiating, man. That that would be awesome because I think you're I think you would be so so good at it. But um, my final question to you though is, um, with the vaccine rolling in, um, do you think that there's a light at the end of the tunnel? When do you think we're going to be back? Do you think summer summer 2021 is when we're going to be doing some some basketball outdoor playing? Man, I'm so I'm so optimistic. Like I hope I hope beginning of summer 2021, if not earlier. You know, this, this vaccine is coming through as a teacher, 
you know, I think we're part of the, the earlier phases. They're going to hit us up. And, um, yeah, I, I really hope that we can salvage uh, 2021, beginning summer, middle summer, just just hope to get some basketball back. Yeah, me too. ASAP. Me too, me too. I, I look forward to – maybe I'll just give you a technical foul just to say, like, oh, welcome back on the court. We'll see what happens, <laughs> man. Any final words you want to say before we part ways? Um, no, thank you very much. Honored. Um, this, this has been great. Yeah, man. For Wilson Liu, this is Ralph the Ref. Of course, Asphalt Ninjas. This is The Rant. We are signing out. Peace. Peace.